0: Good morning everyone. It's great to see you this morning. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us as well. We're glad that you're here. Uh, Thank you for those announcements. Thanks Melissa for that video. Haven't Melissa and Donna done a great job during this time? Done an unbelievable job. I hope you're clapping at home too. Uh, We're probably, I know reopening children's ministry is a big deal for some of our families who are waiting to attend in person and we're still a couple of weeks away from that. We're still, we're still trying to learn from schools and, and figure out how to do this safely. I think if, if this week has taught us anything, perhaps one of the things it's taught us, among other things, is that we're not done with this yet, that, that we still need to be careful and safe and wise. And so uh, our, our teams are working on that. But we are, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, going to be open some sort of kids' adventure for our elementary school students in Burlington and in Belmont. So you can be watching out for the announcements for that. Today we're going to be in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. and We're actually going to go to two different passages. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and then we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you're in the room here this morning, you want to grab one of those uh, black pew Bibles or chair Bibles. We're on page 954 is where, is where we are starting. It's 954. And this is actually our last week our last week of our Love Your Neighbor series. So if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we uh, started a couple of weeks ago with a series that we called One Another, and we talked about how do we love one another as the church? How do we love one another as fellow Christians? And now we've kind of broadened the circle a little bit, and we're talking about loving your neighbor. And this is our last conversation around loving your neighbor until next Sunday we move into loving the world. And if you remember uh, the way we've been defining neighbor over these last few weeks, the way we are defining neighbor is this. A neighbor is someone who is close to you and far from God. A neighbor is someone who is close to you and far from God. And what we've said is, and what we'll continue to say, is the most loving thing we can do for someone who is close to us and far from God is to share with them and tell them about the God who loves them neighbor is someone who is close to us and far from God and the most loving thing we can do if we're talking about loving our neighbor the most loving thing we can do is to talk to them and share with them about the God who loves them now the longer you have been a Christian here's the truth here's what happens the longer you have been a Christian I don't know everyone in the room some of us have have followed Jesus for for maybe a few months a lot of us have followed Jesus for years the longer you are a Christian tell me if this isn't true for you the harder it becomes to have neighbors if we're not careful the longer you follow jesus the more difficult it becomes to have people in your sphere of influence that are close to you and far from god because naturally in our life and in our world we surround ourselves with people who have similar experiences similar ideas similar likes similar dislikes and it is hard to maintain relationship with people when we start to have different experiences and different thoughts and different ideas. And so the longer we are a Christian, the harder it is to maintain those relationships and have people that are close to us and far from God. I remember before I was in ministry full-time, for a little while I was in sales full-time. And I worked on a, on a sales team, and on the sales team there were, there were two guys that I got along with really well. Their names uh, are Mike and Bob. And... We used to go out to lunch a couple times a week. All I know is I packed on about 25 pounds in my times with that, country, that company because we went out to lunch a lot, right? So Micah and Bob and I, we would go out to lunch a couple times a week, and we enjoyed it. We'd talk about work. We'd talk about uh, ideas for sales and all sorts of things, and we had great conversation. When I left that job, I left that job and came to work full-time at the church. This was now about uh, 12 years ago. And I remember, I'm not sure who initiated it, but one of the three of us said that we should all get together for lunch a couple months after I had left that company and moved into full-time ministry. And I was really looking forward to it. I hadn't seen them in a couple of months, and I was I was looking forward to catching up. And so we all uh, met at the Applebee's in Woburn, there right off of 95. And we walked in a real high-class place. We walked in and we sat down, and the conversation even though we liked each other the conversation was terrible it was awful we had nothing to talk about and the reason we had very little to talk about was because all of those shared experiences all that shared knowledge and I hadn't realized it before that moment but all of our conversations were around common experience common shared shared ideas and once those were gone it was really hard to maintain relationship. And maybe you've had an experience like that too. Maybe it was at your high school reunion and you remembered how close you were to certain people. And then you, you got back with those people and you didn't connect like the way you used to because you weren't at the same school anymore. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. You leave a job, you leave a school, you move to a different part of the, of a, of the country and you try to come back and the relationship that once was so close is now different because your experiences have changed. And when experiences change, relationships can change. And when you get far from one another, it's really difficult to have close relationship. And if we're not careful, the exact same thing happens to us as followers of Jesus. Because that relationship is so important and because that relationship is so transformative, it then becomes natural that we begin to surround ourselves and develop our closest relationships with those who think like us and believe like us and encourage us. And indeed, we should have those kinds of relationships. That's what the entire Love One Another series was about, is how we have those relationships and how we foster those close relationships. However, the challenge we face is if we allow ourselves as believers to lose relationships with those far from God, not only do we lose those relationships, we also lose influence in the lives of those we care about. And if having neighbors is about having people close to us who are far from God, and if the most loving thing that we can do is to tell our neighbors about the God who loves them. I think it's right as we close this series to pause for a moment and ask ourselves, do you actually have any neighbors in your life? And my guess is the longer you've been following Jesus Christ, the longer you've been serious about this, the more difficult it is for you to truly maintain close relationships with those who are far from God. Because here's the truth. You can't bring someone far from you close to God. You can't bring someone who is far from you close to God. If we're going to have influence over other people to know more about God and follow him, then we need to be close to people. Pastor Rick Warren says it this way. He says, you can only win your friends to Jesus. You can only win your friends to Jesus. And the first week, the first week, if you remember in this series, we talked about the reality that if you're a follower of Jesus... We're not all called to be evangelists. We're not all called to be the person who goes up on the stage, preaches to the arena, sets up the milk crate, speaks out into the streets, and calls people who are, who are far from them and far from God to follow God. But we all have a role in evangelism, we said. And if you remember what we talked about that week, we said that with evangelism, the way it works, the way it should work, is that we have people who are close to us and far from God. And they are close enough to ask us questions. They're close enough to ask us questions about why we live the way we live so that they don't just look at us as a Christian from a distance and wonder to themselves, why do they do that? Why do they live that way? Why do they think that way? Why do they have peace in their heart even though the world is in chaos? But that they are close enough to come to us, to text us, to DM us, or whatever the case may be, to email us and say, hey, how in the world do you have peace right now? Why do you live the way that you do? And so here's my question for you this morning, and for me. Do you have people that are far from God in your life, but close enough to you that they will ask you those sorts of questions? I think often in the church, as Christians, we become worried about being guilty by association with people who don't follow Jesus. And certainly we could point to things and see things. And in fact, in our world right now, we are, we are becoming entrenched, aren't we? We're becoming entrenched in all sorts of ways and surrounding ourselves only with people who agree with us. And people from all different viewpoints, people from all different uh, perspectives are, are doing this equally right now in our world. We are entrenching ourselves and surrounding ourselves only with people that think like us, only with people who agree with us, only with people who won't say things that bother us. And part of the reason we do this as Christians is because we don't want to end up guilty by association. We don't want to spend time with people who are far from God. And rather than us influence them and bring them closer to God, they influence us and take us farther from God. I remember when I was growing up in church, the, the illustration they used in Sunday school and, and youth group, they would say, you don't want to get too close to people who don't follow Jesus because if you're standing up on a chair, it's much easier for them to pull you down than it is for you to pull them up, right? So if you're standing in front of me here and I was standing on the stage, much easier for you to pull me off the stage than it is for me to pull you on the stage, right? And that was the big warning. Don't get too close to people who are far from God because it's much easier for them to pull you down and get you away from God than it is to pull you up. And so we don't want to be guilty by association. We don't want to be negatively influenced. And so we avoid it. And the longer we follow Jesus, it can be the more that we find ourselves avoiding it. However, we ought not forget that in the New Testament, That in the Bible, we can also be found not just guilty by association, but we can actually be found guilty by disassociation. If there is a, within the New Testament... A couple of places we could look, and we're going to look at them now, where the Bible actually talks about not us being guilty by association, not us being drugged down by the world, although certainly the Bible warns us about that, but there are places in the Bible that the Bible actually talks about us being found guilty by disassociation, where we separate ourselves so much from the people around us that we cannot love them in the way that God calls us to love them. Jesus made a number of statements about himself in his ministry. And throughout the Gospels, we could go and and take a look at the things that Jesus says about himself. And he says, in one place, he says, the Son of Man, that's a phrase that Jesus would use to talk about himself. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And in another place... He says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And there's these places throughout the Gospels where Jesus uh, self-identifies and proclaims his purpose in coming. And there's a really interesting one in Luke chapter 7. I didn't ask you to turn there this morning, but I'll just read it for you. Where Jesus is standing in front of religious leaders, and the religious leaders, they're not happy with him at all. And Jesus says this to them. The Son of Man has come. This is Jesus talking about himself, right? The Son of Man has come, what? To save the world. He doesn't say that here. That's true, but he doesn't say it. The Son of Man has come to die on the cross. That's true, but he doesn't say that here. Look at what he says. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Isn't that such an interesting way for Jesus to talk about his mission and his purpose here on this earth? And he's contrasting himself, if you look at the verse before, he's contrasting himself with John the Baptist and how he came in his ministry. He says, I have come, and this is what I'm doing I am eating and drinking with people that you religious leaders would never spend time with. And you say, Look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And what they're saying there is the religious people are looking at Jesus and they're saying, look at him. He is guilty by association because he is spending time and hanging out with all the wrong people. He is guilty. And the reason he's guilty is because of the people he is spending time with. And Jesus is saying back to them, you think I'm guilty because I'm spending time with people far from God? Rather, he says, you're guilty. Because it's not about guilty by association. You're guilty of disassociation. You're guilty of excluding yourself from the people who need to hear about God's love the most. And I ask you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I I think there Paul says something that's so interesting. He says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9. Look at what he writes here. He says, I wrote to you in my letter. Okay, this is, a, this is a letter from Paul to the church in Corinth that we actually don't have a copy of, but there's another letter that he wrote that he's referencing here. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And now look at this qualifier. Look at this qualifier, because if you, if you heard Paul say this, right, not to, not to associate with sexually immoral people, immediately we would go to the people out there. But look at his Qualifier. Not at all meaning, I didn't mean this, I did not mean the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would have to go out of the world. But I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunker, swindler, not to even eat with such a one. And it's a really interesting passage because Paul's saying, listen, I told you not to associate with this group of people. I didn't mean those people out there. I meant if there are fellow Christians within the life of the church that are participating in these sort of sinful behaviors, don't associate with them because they say they're a follower of Jesus, but their life says something else. But I wasn't telling you not to associate with anybody out there who is doing these things. And Paul, too, says... You don't want to be guilty by association. You don't want to do everything that the world does, but you also don't want to be guilty of disassociation. You need people who are close to you, close enough to ask you questions, and far from God, who need to hear about his love. So what do you do? What do you do if you're you're a follower of Jesus and you're saying to yourself, I'm not sure I have it. I'm not sure those people are around me. I'm not sure. I mean, they're close, like they work in the next cubicle. They're close, like they live next door. They're close, like they're extended family. Like, I think of myself. I have extended family who are far from God. I, I mean, they're close to me because they're family. But would they text me and ask me questions about the way I'm living? Probably not. So how can I build relationship with them to that point? That's the challenge for me. And I'm curious as you think about your life too, do you really have people that are that close to you and far from God that they will see the way that you live, see the way that you trust in Jesus, they're close enough to understand your faith, understand why you believe, so that they'll ask you questions? How do you close the gap? Well, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says this. He says, become like the person far from God to bring them close to God become like the person far from God to bring them close to God. In fact, if you flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, this is what Paul says. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though blessings. Now what's Paul saying there? In Paul's world, the greatest division within the early church was the division between the Jewish people who were God's chosen people. Jesus came and he was the Jewish Messiah and the Gentiles who now through Christ's sacrifice had the opportunity to begin relationship with God. And this was one of the biggest challenges for the early church. I mean, think about our divisions in our world. Think about all the divisions that we have in our world right now. And it probably doesn't take long to come up with some big ones in our current context. That is the same sort of challenge that the early church was facing to say, how is it that Jews and Gentiles who never relate with each other before Jews and Gentiles who didn't do business together, who didn't live life together. How in the world do these two groups of people come into the church and begin to follow Jesus? And is it even right for someone like Paul, who is a Jewish leader, a Jewish man who's a follower of Jesus, is it even right for him to go into the Gentile world and tell them about God's love for them? And Paul says, not only is it correct, but here's the deal. Wherever I have to sacrifice what it means to be Jewish, if I can do that without breaking God's law, if I can do that without sinning, then I will do whatever I have to do to go and to be like the Gentile people, to be in their world, to talk to them, to love them so that I can share with them the love of God. And this was hugely controversial. And I wonder if Paul was in our world today, what would he say to us? What, what would the lines be? What would he fill in there? Right to the Bostonian, I became like a Bostonian. To the New Yorker, I became like a New Yorker. What would he put in there? How would he change? How would he adapt so that he could share, he could earn the right to share God's love? To the person that loves Apple, I became like a person who loves Apple. To the person who loves Android, I became a person who loves Android. Right? What would Paul put in there? To the Republican, I became like a Republican. To the Democrat, I became like a Democrat. I mean, what would Paul put in there? So that I have the opportunity to share the gospel. And Paul's very clear here. I'm not going to do everything they do. I'm not going to break the the law. I'm not going to go against what God says to do. But I will do whatever it takes to gain relationship and a hearing with them so that they can hear the gospel. What does that look like? I mean, what does it look like to become like others? There's this little book. And in fact, there's a few copies on the back uh, in the Connect Center if you're here this morning. There's five copies left. You're welcome to take them. Some of the ideas for our Loving Your Neighbor um, series came out of this book. It's called Surprise the World by Michael Frost. And in this book, he tells the story of a Southern Baptist preacher that he met. And he asked him, how is your influence in your neighborhood? And the pastor said, well, not good. I have influence in my church, but I don't know my neighbors. And he said, well, how could you get to know your neighbors? And the pastor said, well, one of the guys on my block... Every so often, he hosts a margarita and poker night for all the men in my neighborhood in his garage. And he puts on the, on the invite that he makes the best margaritas ever and, and that they have a good time. But he's like, my problem is I don't drink. I don't drink, so I, I just don't go. I don't, be, I don't want to be guilty by association. And the author of this book, Michael Frost, said, how many spiritual conversations have you had with this group? And he said, zero. And he gave him a challenge. He said, the next time you get invited go don't do what they do if you don't feel comfortable that's your conviction don't do what they do but just be there become like them so the next time he got the invitation the the pastor accepted the invite and he went and he said his neighbors were shocked they could not believe he was there and he didn't he didn't drink that was his conviction so he didn't do that and nobody cared nobody cared he had soda but he had more spiritual conversations in that night he said with people far from God than he had ever had previously and he won a thousand dollars no that's not true I made that part up I made that part up but he became like them so that he would have influence influence with them this is what we ask our global outreach partners to do A couple of weeks ago, I went to to breakfast with a couple of our global outreach partners who are in a very remote part of the world, and they're in a place where there are very few Christians. And we sat down and we were talking about their ministry and, and how the last four years had gone and their plans to return next year. And as they were talking, they showed me pictures of where they live, and they're surrounded by people who are very different than them and who have a very different faith than them. And when I saw their pictures, uh, the, the husband and wife, they were dressed, not like they would dress here. They were dressed like the people they were trying to reach. And that made sense to me. That didn't shock me. That made sense. And during uh, our breakfast, they said to me, give us, give us uh, Bible verses. From, from the Gospel of John, this was a real quiz for me on the spot. Give us Bible verses from the Gospel of John. We want to practice them back to you in Swahili, which is the language of the people group they work with. We need to practice the language. And that wasn't odd to me that they would want to practice the language of the people that they were trying to reach. That made perfect sense. The husband is a, has a, uh, is a medical professional, and so one of the ways they reach people is he offers... Uh, you know, he offers medical care in that, in that place and in that environment. You know what would have been really odd to me? If, they, if we were talking about their ministry in this country and they said to me, well, this is what we do. We, we live, but we don't live in town. We, we, have a, we have a place outside of town. And we built a wall. It's 10 feet high all the way around so that none of these people who don't follow Jesus can influence us. And we still dress the way we normally dress. And we do everything in English. And we offer medical care, but we only offer it to the other English-speaking Uh, white christians that are living in the area and every so often we throw a bunch of flyers and brochures over the wall and we hope people are picking those up and learning more about jesus i would have said to them if that was the case well it's been great having breakfast Uh, i we're pulling all our funding from your ministry i'm sorry i expect we expect that they would learn the language that they would they would be in the culture that they wouldn't do the things that people do, that they wouldn't necessarily, that they wouldn't violate any of God's law or be brought into sin, but that they would be in a position to love others and share God's love. Are you close enough to do that? It's so easy the longer we follow Jesus to find our comfort only within these walls and within the relationships of people who think like us and live like us. We don't want to be guilty by association. We don't want to be brought down. But we can actually find ourselves guilty by disassociation if we're not careful. I'm going to invite the worship team to come uh, join me back on the stage. And we're going to take communion together in just a moment. So if you have that communion cup, I'd invite you to grab that and just hold it for a minute. I don't, uh, I don't watch this show as much as I used to, but I think it's still on television. But there's a show that's been on TV for quite a few years, and maybe you've seen it yourself. It's a show that follows the, the work of crab boat captains in the Bering Sea off the coast of Alaska. Right? And the show is called Deadliest Catch because it's one of the deadliest professions in the world. And if you've ever seen a clip off that show or you've ever watched a portion of that show, one of the things that strikes you immediately are the insane working conditions that these people are in. I mean, sometimes 30, 40 foot swells and incredible waves and it's icy and it's cold and it's dangerous. And the group of people that, that choose this as their profession are an interesting bunch And there's a lot of tension. They don't like a lot of people. They like the people on their boat. Sometimes they don't even like those people. But there's one person, one group of people, that all those captains and all those deckhands love. They all love and respect the Coast Guard rescue swimmer. In fact, in the times that I've seen uh, clips where the captains and the deckhands meet Coast Guard rescue swimmers, they cannot express enough. These people that never show emotion, right? These captains, these salty people, they cannot express emu- enough how much they, they love the swimmers. And why do they love the rescue swimmers so much? Because if they go overboard in 25-foot seas, there is only one person who's willing to get in the water with them. Their deck hands aren't going over with them. They'll drown. Captain's not going over. The only person willing to get in the water with them is that swimmer who comes out on that helicopter and lowers themselves into the frigid water. And the swimmer grabs that drowning person hooks them up to the line and points up and says, there is your rescuer. And loving your neighbor is being willing to be close enough that you can point up. Put your arm around them, be in the fight with them, and say, look, there is your rescuer. And isn't that exactly what God did for you and for me in Jesus Christ. We were drowning apart from him, lost apart from him. And God didn't say, you know what, I'm going to let them figure that out on their own. They can build a raft, or hopefully they can hang on to a, a piece of floating debris and they can figure this out and save their own life. God said, I'm going down there with them. And Jesus Christ came, and he lived among us. He lived among us. He came down here, and he pointed up, and he said, listen, there is your rescuer. And rather than us dying, he died and took that punishment. Rose again, that we might have life. And filled with his spirit, we are called to do the same for another. We can't rescue anyone, but we can get down in the water with people while they're struggling. And what a unique opportunity we have in our world today with all the chaos that's going on to be in relationship with people and say, look up. There's your rescuer. Jesus, in his last meal with his disciples, foreshadowed what was about to come, that rather than them dying for their sin, he was going to die on their behalf. He was going to die on your behalf and my behalf. And during that meal he took bread that was on the table and he broke it. And I'd invite you, if you would, just to, to you can peel back that piece of, of cellophane on the top there and take this wafer. He took bread that was on the table and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together and thank God for his sacrifice on our behalf. And after that meal, he took the cup that was on the table And he said to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. God, we thank you. Thank you that when we were drowning on our own, thank you that when we were in a position of not being able to do anything to rescue ourselves, you came and rescued us through Christ. God, help us to love those around us the way you call us to. Empower us by your spirit to show your love in real and tangible ways. To be able to say to others, look up. Here is your rescuer. Thank you for rescuing us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? And let's close out our time together in worship.